Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. Hi. Hi. I'm sorry I'm late. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm late. I mean, you're tardy, ma'am. I know. I know. Well, I went to go pull on the highway and the off-ramp, just or the on-ramp, just to get to the highway, was completely backed up. And uh. so it, I wasn't even on. I was on the ramp bumper to bumper. And I look at this guy because I had the opportunity to turn around, but it would have been an illegal turn. Oh, and I would yeah. have had to back out into the oncoming, you know, like. Oh, the, geez. Well, well, so I look at this guy and I go can I turn around and I give him the motion and he shrugs his shoulders like, I don't know. And <laughs> You're so asking I, the, the next car neighbor. Yeah, the, or... the next car neighbor. I was like, should I turn around and get out of here? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, I'm doing it. So I totally did an illegal <laughs> turn, went down oh the wrong way. God. It's just a podcast. Don't risk your well, life. Well, no, it wasn't It wasn't risky. I wasn't okay. on the main road. It Jeez. wasn't risky. It was completely dead. But I was just like, I'm backing out of this. And then... Before that even happened, I was running around. Has this ever happened to you when you wear boots? You can't find the long socks. Oh, yeah, the tall ones. The tall, yeah. socks. tall socks. So yeah. before I even got to the, the traffic situation, I'm getting ready to leave, and I'm like, where are all the tall socks? Yeah. And Gary had done a bunch of laundry, so I'm picking through them. Couldn't find my tall socks. Yeah. So I am. Or you re- always find one and you can't find the other. Right. And it's stuck to a pant leg or right. inside. <laughs> so I'm wearing my son's gaming socks. Hilarious. And the bottom says, don't bother me, I'm gaming. Hilarious. Those, those are the socks I'm wearing oh right now gosh. with my boots. So oh I grabbed gosh. those socks, got on the highway, realized I was going to be in trouble, did a U-turn, booked it a different way. Oh, man. I think I was only like five minutes late. Yeah, it wasn't terrible. Yeah. yeah you got to just so, take I'm a brush. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. I'm sorry. And <laughs> and now for medical skepticism. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm skeptical about your ability to get ready in the morning. I know, apparently, yeah. apparently. Uh, so we are talking to my friend Jessica today. And Jessica, she has a YouTube channel where she is sharing her whole story and her experience with prolapse mm-hmm. and lots of prolapse. So she's going to share her whole story. It's very... I, I was watching some of the videos to prepare for this episode, and it is, it's intense, everything that she went through, and she really chronicles it it well. So we toyed with whether this episode actually belonged either in quality of life or in this kind of series that we're doing on medical skepticism and ultimately we decided to put it here just because so much of her journey she really had to advocate for herself and she had to fight for for where she got and and we also know like as women oh just because you have one problem doesn't mean you can't have another problem so right you know like you have breast cancer and it doesn't mean that you don't have prolapse from childbirth or you don't need you know you don't have bladder incontinence and so it's like well you know we thought she was a shining example of somebody that really took the bull by the horns and advocated for herself totally yeah so she's going to tell her whole story and then she kind of is going to talk about how she knew in her gut and her heart that something wasn't right and she fought for it so today we're going to talk to uh, jessica about what she experienced right with her prolapse some Mm -hmm. of the surgeries she had the advocacy she had to do yep and then we're going to talk to her about why she felt compelled to share her experience on youtube now with her youtube channel yeah and she's going to leave us with her advice to women on how they can best advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, let's hear from our first sponsor. Thriven is a proud sponsor of Faith Through Fire. Thriven believes money is a tool and not a goal. 
The Gateway Financial Group with Thrivent is local to the St. Louis area and can work with you to create a financial strategy that reflects your priorities and helps you protect the things that matter to you, like family and giving back. Please call 314-783-4214 to schedule a free consultation with one of Thrivent's Gateway Financial Advisors. All right, we are back. So thank you for being with us today, Jessica. So I kind of want to start with you just giving us kind of a brief overview of your story. And I know there's a lot to it. So so start kind of before your surgeries, give a little kind of brief, brief overview of that. And then and then kind of tell us what your surgeries were like. So yeah, as Sarah said, there's quite a history that led me to having to have my surgery starting about 13 years ago with the delivery of my first child. I had a pretty traumatic delivery experience and it resulted in the use of forceps, the use of the vacuum to help my daughter be born. And then also, unfortunately, I had a pretty severe episiotomy as well. And so that caused a lot of damage to all of my tissues down there. And I had had a lot of stress incontinence since that delivery 13 years ago, but that was really the only issue that I was experiencing other than some weak pelvic floor. So I was going to pelvic floor therapy and things like that over the course of that time to try to strengthen that area until I was done with childbearing. And then I knew that I would be facing a pelvic surgery and for sure some type of sling to support my bladder and prevent that stress incontinence. But then I had a second child and that was another vaginal delivery, a larger size baby, but it was actually a pretty textbook delivery. I really didn't even have a rip or a tear. Everything was fine. No issues really after that one and nothing got worse. But after my third and what ended up being my final delivery, which was also vaginal, another large size baby, I had a pretty typical delivery, no real issues again, no tearing, no ripping, no need for an episiotomy. But at about my six-week postpartum mark, I started noticing that things just kind of felt different down there. I had a lot of pressure. I was having some nerve pain. I was having some issues with emptying my bladder, fully emptying my bowels. And so, of course, that's about the time you go to that six-week checkup after having a baby. So I mentioned these concerns to my gynecologist who had been my OB, obviously, and honestly was kind of brushed off at first. He really didn't even do a thorough exam. And he just said, well, you know, those things just all sound normal. You're going to feel mm-hmm. those things after having a baby. Everything is just still trying to get back to how it was pre-delivery. Was your doctor the same? Did he deliver all your babies? Was it the same doctor for all deliveries? My first baby, the one that was 13, she's 13 now, uh, was a different OB. After that, bad situation. I did switch OBs and then this this newer one delivered my last two babies. Okay. Yep. So I was kind of brushed off at the six week appointment and went home telling myself like, okay, this is going to get better. It's you know, it's just recovering from childbirth. Yeah. You kind of trust and believe that, that, that what they say is, is right. <laughs> right. And I actually, I really liked this OB and gyno and I very much trusted him and He had helped me alleviate a lot of fears I had going into that second and third delivery after my first one. I mean, honestly, I was almost like begging for a C-section because I just didn't want the same experience I had with baby number one. And he convinced me that, you know, I had to trust my body and she had kind of paved the way and to go ahead and attempt those vaginal deliveries. And I was thankful to him for that, that I was able to avoid C-section. Everything I've been through at this point, I kind of questioned maybe that would have been the better route. So six weeks postpartum, he didn't really do a thorough exam, but just told me not to worry about it. Things would improve. But by about the time my baby was three months old, 
I was convinced that something was not right. I had Mm. a lot of pressure. I had what I've since figured out was pudinal nerve pain. And I also started to notice that I was having a harder and harder time using the restroom, whether that was number one or number two. I just felt like I couldn't fully empty and feel relieved ever. But then I decided to do a little self-examination and realized pretty quickly that I definitely had a prolapse. Although at the time, I did not know that that's what it was. I was very uninformed about anything related to prolapse. And so I got out a mirror. I looked down there with a mirror, could definitely see that there was something in my vagina that should not be there. Can you, so I was going to say, can you explain to everybody listening what a prolapse is? Like what you said, you Googled it. So what, what is that? Well, I actually, again, clueless Googled ball of tissue inside vagina. What is this? What is this ball that looks like tissue inside my vagina? And right away, it pops up prolapse. So I had to start doing my own research, like what is a prolapse? And upon doing that research, I was pretty convinced that what I had was considered cystocele, which is prolapse of your bladder. Basically, Mm -hmm. the bladder has fallen down through the vaginal wall and is, you know, not where it should be anymore. And there's different degrees of prolapse, degrees one through four. And ultimately, by the time I was able to get into the vaginal surgeon and they assessed all of my prolapses, they said that mine were all level three, like most of them were three, which essentially just means that all of your prolapsed organs are hanging out right there at the vaginal opening, but are not completely falling out of the vaginal opening. That would be, that would make it a level four. I think there's so much about this that's interesting because like in our work with breast cancer patients, we tend to tell women, don't Google. Don't Google, right? Yeah. Because you don't want to get misinformation. But in your case, but when you, you don't be- have a doctor who's like well, giving you the information, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, she he kind of dismissed her, didn't do even a proper exam, and then she had to find out what was wrong with her mm-hmm. through Google. So yeah, I think it's really interesting. You know, Google serves a purpose, but it's interesting yeah. the context, and it's really sad that she had to go, you know, investigate on her own. Yeah, on your own, Jessica, because you're you felt unheard. Because at this point, is this three months? postpartum Postpartum. yeah so you've been struggling because i can only imagine based on your symptoms that this was so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and detrimental to your quality of life i mean for three months as you're trying Mm -hmm. to you know take care of a newborn you're dealing with these issues and being told it's normal when you know i mean you just kind of know intuitively right this this can't be normal well yes and you know to spare the listeners all the details after the six-week mark you're given the clearance to return to intimacy and things like that and that was also very different Mm. very uncomfortable (laughs) that was kind of the tip off for me that i needed to do a little self-exam and figure out what was going on in there because it just didn't feel right and normal you know what i find also interesting about this is even you know it's not this is not necessarily unique to just after childbirth because I feel like there's so much after childbirth that people just go well your body's different now things feel different and I mean this happens when you get older too oh my knees hurt well your body's different it's older now and like they're just we're kind of conditioned I think as a society to just to brush off some things when in reality I think we need to start listening to our bodies a little bit more anyway and advocating a lot more for ourselves so talk about let's go into some of the surgeries that you have briefly and and what that was like for you well I I want to know first, did, did did you go back to the original OBGYN or did you search out a surgical consult independent of him? Like, did you go back to him first or did you just go off and find somebody else that could recognize what you were dealing with? I did go back to his office. I called around the three month mark and said, I need to be seen. I'm pretty convinced I have a prolapse. 
Mm-hmm. They said that the doctor wasn't available for the next few days. So they got me in with their nurse practitioner. She saw me and within <laughs> within a couple of minutes, a very short exam, she was like, yes, you definitely have for sure a cystocele, potentially other prolapses, but for sure a cystocele. So I was given a business card for a urogynecologist, or sorry, a urologist. This was just a regular urologist that was recommended that I go see that this person could treat my stress incontinence and also fix my prolapse. So again, trusted this doctor, trusted his office, went ahead and followed through with making an appointment with that doctor, went to see that urologist. And I could go into a lot of detail we probably don't have time for, but Mm -hmm. ultimately I felt very uncomfortable in that office. I did not feel there was any Mm -hmm. concern, empathy, compassion. The doctor just came in, gave me a very quick exam without my permission, catheterized me. Like I didn't even know it was coming. She was doing a vaginal exam. And next thing I know, she has shoved a catheter um, in my urethra and is draining my urine to check for an infection. Again, does this very, very quick exam. And then she says, yep, you have a cystocele and, you know, I can fix this and I can put in your bladder sling for your urinary incontinence. It'll be like hour long procedure. And then you'll go home that day, take a day or two off work and good, good to go. You'll be good to go. And I just remember thinking like, what? I mean, <laughs> lady, I've, I don't even know anything about prolapses. I only know what I've learned on Google. You're acting like this is no big deal. But the, the little I had learned in my own research told me that it really probably shouldn't be that quick of a fix and that that may not fully fix the problem. And I wanted to know, did I have other prolapses? Because it's, it's pretty rare for a woman to only have one. After another experience in that office a week later for a urodynamics test, which is something they require that you have done before that surgery... I decided I was not going back to that office. My gut just told me I don't feel good about this. I don't think this is going to be a quality fix. They're just not caring and compassionate. There wasn't good bedside manner. So I decided to Google again, good old Google, Mm -hmm. you know, who in the area does these type of surgeries and does a very good job. I had heard of a vaginal surgeon in the St. Louis area that I knew had wonderful reviews. He's considered a world-renowned surgeon in this area. People fly in from other countries to have him do the surgery. And frankly, he spends a lot of time fixing the mistakes of other doctors. So I called thinking it would be months before I could get in, told him my story, told him about my profession and that it was summer and I needed to potentially try to get this taken care of. And they agreed to see me a couple days later. So that was amazing. And the whole experience in that office was totally different. I mentioned in my channel that when you walk in there, it's almost like you get an air hug. Nobody actually touches you, but you feel like everybody's looking at you like, oh, you're at the vaginal surgeon. That's got to be bad. I'm sorry you have to be here type of feeling. And upon this surgeon examining me, and he did a wide variety of tests to determine the, the actual extent of my prolapses, I not only had bladder prolapse, which is the cystocele, but I had rectocele, which is your rectum has prolapsed. I had enterocele, which is your uterus has dropped down out of position. And then I also had what's called vaginal vault prolapse, which essentially means that rather than my vagina being stretched out in the shape of a tube, like it should be, mine had just kind of collapsed like a slinky. He described it as it's just like you stretch out a slinky, that's how it should be, or you let it collapse. That's what vaginal vault prolapse is. It was basically no longer connected how it should be. Was it all from your first traumatic birth or was it just every subsequent birth made it a little bit worse? Like what was his instinct on how this all happened? 
it all started with that first delivery and them just slicing right through my pelvic floor. And also in that delivery there, like I said, there was use of forceps, there was use of the vacuum. And then there was also downward pressure being put on me by the nurses. I had several nurses standing up on the, like toward the top of my stomach, pushing down on my stomach, trying to almost like manually move the baby down. Mm. And all of that is just, you know, I've, I've since learned that that is absolutely not what should have happened. That was could have even been like a malpractice type of situation on my hands. And I didn't know that I was 25. Mm. It was my first baby. I trusted them at first. They were blaming on me being an ineffective pusher. You know, I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. Uh, But ultimately after it was two and a half hours of pushing and the baby was making no progress, that's when they realized like, Oh, something let's, let's try some tools. Let's try some of our tools. But what should have happened is I should have been taken to C-section. Did you go back to your doctor? Did you go back to that staff, to that hospital? Like, are they aware of what you've been through? Or is it just like, you're just ready to move on and you're grateful you found care somewhere that was with competent people? I have not. I've debated it. But that recovery resulted in so many issues afterwards. I ended up having to have a surgery on my anus and my rectum because when they restitched things they it was kind of described as them they stitched it a little too tight they stitched it a little too crooked and so then I was having issues with bowel movements and getting a lot of fissures and hemorrhoids and things related to that I had a pubic bone separation from all of the tools and then the downward pressure on my stomach and them using their hands to try to turn the baby so I had a lot of follow-up appointments with that doctor back then and I just, I don't know, the relationship did not necessarily end well. I just felt I wasn't getting the answers I needed. And and looking back on it now, I think what it was, was it was a CYA situation. Like everybody there was just trying to cover their own ass. And they knew that what I was going through was because of the situation not being handled well. Mm-hmm. And they just wanted to kind of wash their hands of me. We had a guest that was somebody who, and she's not in the medical skepticism series. She is in the quality quality of life. Mm -hmm. We put, we put her in quality of life, but it was interesting when we talked to her because she had, she wanted to go flat and she told her surgeon what she wanted. And then her Mm -hmm. surgeon ignored her request and left her extra skin. She, and it it was just this whole trauma. Based on the premise that he was like, I want to give you the option to change your mind. Right. Like he (laughs) took control of the situation and went against her wishes and said, I want to give you the option to change your mind. And, and, and she had lost her ability to have just one surgery and be done. Now she needed subsequent surgeries and to get rid of the extra, to get rid of, Mm -hmm. but my point in bringing it up because I think it's so interesting in this medical skepticism series as well, Mm -hmm. is that she took her concern to the hospital Mm -hmm. and said, hey, this is not okay. You know, if Mm -hmm. I say what I need or, you know, like I didn't get the care I deserved and I want to make sure it doesn't happen to future women. Mm -hmm. And then they totally tried to sweep it under the carpet Mm -hmm. and they tried to get her to go away and they didn't validate it. And I know that's a legal thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, anybody that's dealt with HR or anything knows that they're there to protect the company. They're not Mm -hmm. there to help the employee. Everybody knows this. And so it is a CYA situation. It sounds like for you, the same thing, right? Like this happened to you there was mishandling of your birth and subsequent visits. Mm -hmm. And then everybody just goes hush, hush, right? Because it's like, well, we can't admit fault because if we admit fault, we're opening ourselves up to liability. And so then it's just poor patient care. So now here you are, you've taken an oath, right? To do your best, to serve the patient, to help the patient. But these are people and people are going to make mistakes. And instead of owning that and making changes and, you know, I mean, I don't know, you know, how much litigation they avoid by ignoring it, Mm -hmm. but... I just well, that, I think and, it's so tragic. And, I mean, just look at 
Jessica, I, I know I know you and I, I know you've got your life is busy and your family life is crazy because of the work schedules you guys have to have. And here you are. You've now had to go to two different doctors to try to get this figured out. And who has time for that? So at the end of the day, you're, everyone is just exhausted. And how often do the hospitals just go, well, they're, I mean, they, they chalk it up to the fact that nobody is going to have the time or the space to want to pursue any further action on either mistakes or just the way that people were treated. I mean, they just bank on people not knowing what to do. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're just... Yeah. That's, right. a, that's frustrating. Or, 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 or it's like what you say. They try to sit there and say, well, you're an ineffective pusher. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. okay, it's my fault that you butchered all my internal organs during yeah. my childbirth, right? Like, because I didn't push the right way. Okay. Yeah. It's annoying. Yeah. Right. And to you guys' point, that first doctor that I was recommended to go to, you know, recently, the urologist, she was just going to go in and she wanted to put like a large piece of mesh, like a six inch by, I don't know, three inch piece of mesh that essentially would go in and hold up my bladder. That was the whole point. We're going to, mm-hmm. we're going to lift your bladder up with this mesh and that's going to hold it in place. And that's going to fix the problem. Is that the bladder? Um, and what I have learned, yeah. what I have learned is that although they are using new mesh, not the stuff that they were using in 2000 to 2000, I don't know, eight or so that was like really messing people up. You should do some research on that. There are a lot of stories about women whose like entire lives have been ruined by mesh that was used back then. And that's why there's so many lawsuits. They're using new mesh. But regardless of that, number one, that's a Band-Aid fix that was not actually going to address the underlying issue, Was that my, which was that my vaginal wall, the tissues of my vaginal wall were so weak that it couldn't support those organs being on the outside and everything mm-hmm. was collapsing through. But also that mesh was likely to cause me bigger issues down the road. So it was a Band-Aid mm-hmm. fix. It was going to cause me issues down the road. And it just makes me question how many doctors are out there doing that. Like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I can get you in and out in an hour. And, you know, I'm going to just go in there and tack up, tack it all up with some mesh. And that's going to fix your problem. Well, and ultimately, let me it ask, is not a fix. I was going to say, let me ask you the question that I've asked other people, which is that do you think that there, it's just lack of education? They don't know. Or do you think that they know and they're just like, um, this is, you know, this is this what is we do. We got. That, well, and yeah. I mean, also, we've talked about this, but hospitals have protocols. And if the doctor is employed by the hospital, mm-hmm. they have protocols that they're forced to adhere to. Yeah. Like, this is what we do in this situation. This is what we do in this situation. I mean, that's going to go under medical skepticism, probably a different episode where it's like we have given the ability for doctors to actually give patient care. It's questionable because mm-hmm. now they're taking their orders from above mm-hmm. about how they treat their patients. So and I'm, those orders from above don't come from people who have like any experience yeah i mean i mean usually they they sometimes they they do do, but it's just you know they're out of touch with what matters to patients and they're out of touch with what these women are actually experiencing so i like so do you think it's jessica do you think it's like incompetence or do you think it's like this is the system i think it's a little of both because the surgeon i ultimately went with does everything cutting edge based on the newest research And like I said, he fixes the mistakes of other doctors. So I think he does know a whole lot more than many of these other doctors. Again, this was also a urologist who also treats men, whereas my doctor was a gynecological Mm. surgeon. All he does is vaginal surgeries. He trains other doctors in his techniques. And ultimately, the surgery that I needed to have, I was in the OR for six hours. I had to stay overnight in the hospital, and I had 
really a six week recovery period. I mean, I would say in some ways I'm still recovering, but it was not what I needed was not an hour in and out and go back Mm -hmm. to work two days later. Thank goodness you advocated for yourself. You know, you did your own research. You were like, I'm not living this way. And then you found the resources. I I definitely, Jessica, I want to definitely get to at least touch on, on the surgeries that you had. But before we do that, let's do boobs in the news. Boobs in the News is a fun segment where we read funny tweets by real people or ridiculous news stories. Boobs in the News! Boobs in the News! Boobs in the News! Okay, boob me. This this one just <laughs> happened, so you might have seen it in the news. Oh. I saw it on the news the other day. I don't watch the news, so I doubt it, but yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that on another day, yeah. Sarah. Got to educate yourself. I have no idea what's Every going on. Every time I come to Sarah about the news, I'm like, did you see this in the news? And Sarah's like, uh, what news? I get my news from you. I don't need to watch oh it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Okay, carry on. Maybe I'm the boob today. No, no. (laughs) I mean, you probably have healthier mental mental state for not watching the news. Touche. Okay. So the name of this is Cats Out of the Bag When TSA Finds Stowaway Feline at JFK. Did you see this? No, but that's so sad. Did they stuff a cat in a bag? Okay, yes. Oh. So it went through. It went. Th- it went I don't through. even like cats. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you if you're a cat person because no. people either are or they aren't. Nope. All right. So it's it where says, the cat belongs. Don't accuse. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> now I'm the boob again. Now, yeah. <laughs> no, I was like all oh, the cat lovers out there uh, are like, uh, oh man, and call you, PETA on it's her. Fifty percent of animal lovers are going to be after you, girl. I like dogs. Well, this was at JFK Kennedy Airport, and one of the TSAs noticed that there were some tufts of orange fur poking out of a slightly unzipped suitcase, which kind of gave them pause. But you know they probably see some weird stuff, right? Oh, who knows? Yeah. Yeah, they probably like see all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So they put them through the scanner, and they see this perfectly shaped, curled-up cat in the suitcase. So anyway, they basically open it, and of course, you know... Inside were four paws and a tail, and <laughs> I, I I'm envisioning this cat just like leaping out. You know, like the cartoons have him like all staticky looking, and he's like, <laughs> no. Apparently, he looked really cozy oh. in the picture. He was kind of all curled up. So the traveler was like very surprised. It wasn't intentional. Oh, so she said the cat actually belonged to somebody else in the household, and he wasn't even aware that it was in the suitcase. So the cat like snuck into the suitcase. No, which how weird? How do you zip up a suitcase? With a cat in it. With a cat in it. No. And how did the cat not suffocate? I don't know. Or get squished. But this is the part that cracks me up. Do you want to know what the cat's name is? Uh, I'm trying to come up with something funny. I always think like animal names are so funny. Yeah. Chester. The cat's name was uh, Smells. Oh, okay. Interesting. Smells the cat. So anyway, (laughs) basically the cat's owner told the post that Smells must have crawled into the suitcase while the friend was visiting. She didn't know that the tabby was even missing until the airport officials reached out and said, we have your cat. Oh, man. So I don't know. Smells smells the boob in this. Yeah, the cat. Yeah. Come on, cat. I actually like cats. Although cats cats like to do that. They like to curl up in the things that are warm and cozy. I like cats, but I was allergic when I was little and now, and I'm not anymore, oddly enough, but now my kids are. are, So we don't have a cat. I I get a kick out of cats. There you go. There's your boobs. Smells. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. All right. And we're back. So, So you're more than a year out from all your surgeries, right? Yeah, it's about 16 months post-surgery, yeah. Okay, and, and and you have your channel, and you are really passionate about making sure, I mean, it's an advocacy channel, right? Like, you want women to know, and with you, it's prolapse, right? And we wanted to interview you because we thought it'd be really interesting. Well, we always are all about women empowerment, right? Totally. And women's health is complicated. Can we all agree women's health is complicated? 
Like, I mean, we are so intricate. Yes, and we don't know enough about it. We, not, enough we, we, about we it. do not know our own bodies. I, I kind of laugh because I'm like, I don't know why we expect men to know them when we don't even know them. But, <laughs> but, you know, it's like we have so much going on and we're so intricate. And so Sarah and I are all about women empowerment. And your whole thing is advocacy because you, I mean, you're in the medical skepticism section because you had this horrific experience. And you want other people to and know. And you want other people to know so that they can advocate for themselves and know that they're, they don't have to live that way. Is that fair? Yes. I would say that the primary purpose of me creating the channel was that when I was preparing for my surgery at the age of 37, I couldn't find really anything valuable to watch. I could find lots of articles and medical jargon explanations of what was going to happen to me, but I wanted to hear from, talk to, see someone who had been through my surgery, tell me what it was going to feel like. What was the recovery going to be like? What is the long-term prognosis? What are your long-term symptoms? And there was just nothing. What's been the response since putting up your channel? (laughs) So I have... I, I'm not very technologically skilled. It took me longer than I would have liked it to, to actually get the channel up and running. And I had also kicked out ideas of like, I'm like, am I doing a blog? Am I just doing a website? Like, what am I doing? All I want to do is tell other women what they need to know and be a resource for people with questions. But I ultimately settled on the YouTube page because it made the most sense. It was free. It was the easiest way to get my videos out there, but I did not launch it until nearly a year after my surgery. And I've been truly shocked since the lifetime of my channel. So the last, I guess, five months or so, maybe getting close to six months, there's been over 6,000 views on my channel. There's almost 600 hours of watch time, hundreds of comments. I've gotten probably a hundred emails because I always tell women, if you have a question you don't feel comfortable to ask here, or you want to tell me about your story or whatever, reach out to me through the channel email. And they do. And they tell me their stories and they ask me questions during the recovery process. Hey, did you go through this? And, and this is honestly the blessing of social media, right? Like yeah. I will I will te- yeah. I will tear on social media a lot. <laughs> but when you talk about how this education reaches these women, it would not be possible without YouTube and your channel. So yeah. it's amazing, you know, the lives you've touched and the quality of life that you've been able to give back to women who are suffering right. just by sharing your experience. I really commend you. Right. So before we close out the episode today, let's hear from our second sponsor. BJC Healthcare is proud to bring you the best medicine close to home. In addition to two full-service hospitals, Barnes Jewish St. Peter's and Progress West, community members in St. Charles County and beyond have access to the Siteman Cancer Center in St. Peter's, two convenient centers in the area, and doctor's offices across St. Charles County. Visit BJCStCharlesCounty.org to learn more. All right, we are back. Jessica, can you share with everybody how they can find you on YouTube? And then any last minute recommendations that you have just to help women feel a little bit more empowered with their own health and their own journey? Yes. So my channel is called Personal Prolapse Story. If you search that, you will find my actual channel. As more people visit the channel and as I get more subscribers, I still only have 150 because it's not like it's something where it's, you know, engaging and exciting content. Come back for more later. (laughs) (laughs) The more people that interact with my channel, the more it's showing up in searches. So now if somebody searches vaginal prolapse, a lot of times I am popping up. So that's good. But the channel is called Personal Prolapse Story. My email is personalprolapsestory at gmail.com. And I guess my final takeaways would be we as women need to start talking about this stuff more. When I have told women what I've been through in the last, whatever, 18 months, let's say, 
literally women's mouths drop, like their jaw drops when I tell them that after my third baby, all my organs were falling out. You know, people don't talk about this. People have not heard about this. During my whole third pregnancy, what I was concerned about during the pregnancy and after was preventing diastasis recti of my abdominal muscles. That was my concern while working out and doing all those things. No one ever talked to me about a prolapse. I didn't even know what that was. Jessica, is there stats about how many women suffer a prolapse after a birth? Do you know that offhand? I'd be curious. I'm sure there are. I do not know. I will say that when I asked my surgeon, like, how often does this happen to women my age? That was my thing. Like, you hear of women in their 70s, 80s having prolapses. But he's like, it's way more common than you think. He's like, he's like, I operate on women in their 30s all the time. So it's just people aren't talking about it because it's embarrassing because you either think you did something wrong to cause it. I've even had those thoughts. Like, did I work out too soon? Did I work out too much during my pregnancy? Did I do too many squats? You know, like you always question like, what did you do wrong? But also people just aren't talking about, I mean, when you have bad enough prolapses in order to have a bowel movement, you have to stick your hands up in there and push your organs out of the way, like push them up out of the way in order to go to the bathroom. No one wants to talk about that. That is not something people talk about. Yeah. I mean, so, until so that you, would be my number you, one girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. So talk about it. And then number two, you absolutely have to follow your gut with doctors. If something mm-hmm. feels off, find someone else. You yes. need to ask questions. You need to do your own research and trust yourself. I talk in my videos about how as much as I loved my surgeon, there were times during my recovery where I was very frustrated with his office staff, like his nurses, because I would call. And I would say, something's wrong. Like, I have this strange odor. I have this burning sensation. It's really itchy, like whatever. And they'd be like, trust yourself. Mm -hmm. I know my body. I know this doesn't feel normal. And I know it wasn't like this a few days ago. And now it is. Mm -hmm. Something is wrong. And you have to start trusting your gut on that because they're not always right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Preach, Amen. sister. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for sharing your story. Thank Thanks you, for your Jessica. advocacy, Jessica. You're amazing. <laughs> thank you. All right. All right. Until, Until next, next time. time, guys. See ya. Thank you for being a listener of the Besties with Breasties podcast. If this podcast had a positive impact on your journey, leave us a review or consider becoming a supporter. You can donate with the link in the show notes or at faiththroughfire.org. This episode was hosted by Sarah Hall and Beth Wilmus, audio and production edits by Innovative Frequencies.